It's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Cameron Revere, who is our special guest for today. Uh, he is an associate professor of the Robotics Institute at Carnegie Mellon University and also has academic appointments in the Biomedical Engineering Department at Carnegie Mellon as well as in the Department of Rehabilitation Science and Technology at the University of Pittsburgh. Dr. Revere, welcome to Regenerative Medicine today. Thank you. So your interests span a lot of areas, but... I think we generally categorize them as developing intelligent tools that can be used in a variety of applications, many of which are biomedically related. Perhaps you can just give our listening audience a brief overview of your principal interest areas. Sure. One thing that has interested me for some time is modeling or suppressing of quasi-periodic, usually quasi-periodic, involuntary motion of either the surgeon, like hand tremor, or of the patient, like respiration or heartbeat, in order to enable a surgeon or other physician to intervene more accurately in the OR. Most of the projects in my lab deal with either ways to improve minimally invasive access or ways to improve accuracy of manipulation in a minimally invasive way. Three of the main projects we have going on in my lab, one of them is the Heartlander project, which is a crawling device for epicardial access to the heart that adheres to the heart as a way of passively accounting for the heartbeat and respiratory motion to allow accurate manipulation and intervention. Another is what I call the Micron project that focuses primarily but not exclusively on retinal procedures. It's a fully handheld tool that measures and then counteractively compensates the hand tremor of the operator in order to allow more precise micromanipulation. A third one is we've been developing novel methods for steering of flexible needles. We've done some experiments to apply those in the brain and also in the kidney for improved minimally invasive access to deep tissues, but certainly there are possible applications in a number of other areas. That's a nice introduction, and let me just begin with your last example. The idea of minimally invasive procedures seems to be increasing rapidly in terms of regenerative therapies, stem cell-based therapies, and so forth. So it seems to me that this particular technology which you're developing and maturing with has some very broad applications. Yes, and I think that's one thing that's worthy of note about most of what we do in my laboratory, and particularly these three projects that I've mentioned. They're all things that offer good possibilities for delivering a variety of regenerative treatments to hard-to-reach areas, areas deep in the body or delivery while biological motion is going on, such as in off-pump heart procedures and the like. So you talk about these techniques to suppress hand tremors. I guess this is a, I'll call it a competing approach to just pure robotic surgery. Is that, is that correct presumption? Yes, you could think of it as that. 
there have been numerous projects, and, and some of them are still going on, to deal with the same problem in a tele-robotic or tele-operated sort of way, something like the larger Da Vinci robot from Intuitive. You know, there are those who've worked on developing sort of an eye surgery equivalent of that, where there's a master interface separated from the patient that the operator's using, and then a slave manipulator that actually performs the procedure on the patient. Certainly, there are some pros and cons, obviously, to each approach. Uh, a lot of the high bandwidth control and filtering approaches that we ha are forced to use, you know, that a, a handheld tool like ours has to rely on, aren't needed with a teleoperated approach. On the other hand, the kind of fully handheld tool that we're developing has advantages in terms of safety, ease of use, low cost, that sort of thing. Maybe you said this in a different way, but with a device like a Da Vinci robot, surgical robot, they can build dampening into their system to deal with hand tremors and so forth, whereas in your case you have to deal with the direct hand-to-tool interface. Right, exactly. We're forced to counteract that the unwanted motion in real time, whereas with a, a teleoperated approach, you can view it from the other direction. You, you don't. Nothing passes through to the slave manipulator unless you specifically pass it through, and then you can decide by filtering, et cetera, what you're going to pass through. Whereas, of course, in our case, the hand motion is there, and you have to specifically counteract in real time everything that you don't want to be there. So you also mentioned the Heartlander, which, as I understand, is a miniature mobile robot that can be used for various cardiac procedures. So how miniature is a miniature robot? For this particular application? Our present prototype is about 8 millimeters wide, about 5.5 millimeters high, where here I'm saying high as if the epicardial surface is the floor, so to speak, that it's standing on. We could potentially make it smaller depending on what the intervention were and what the, you know, therefore what the instrumentation is that's needed to perform it. We have found that this current size is small enough to allow us to be able to reach by having the device crawl on the epicardial surface pretty much everywhere we would want to reach on the epicardial surface. But uh, if desired, there are uh, potentially ways that we could make it smaller. How does a surgeon use this uh, particular device? Or I guess it's still a developmental uh, prototype at this point. Yes, we've used it in about 30 live pig experiments, but uh, have not used it on humans at this point. We started out with manually controlled, if you will, experiments where the surgeon had a joystick and was steering the device backward and forward, left and right, etc. Since then, we have gone to pretty much exclusively autonomous navigation with the device. So in other words, the surgeon at the beginning of a procedure or, or while it's going on. In other words, you can intervene, change whatever you want while it's happening, but specifies a series of treatment points or, in other words, waypoints that he wants the device to visit. And the control of the actual locomotion then is transparent to the surgeon. Once the pattern is laid out, where he wants Heartlander to go, a single point or multiple points or following a path, depending on what the intervention is that's being performed, then 
you know, once Harlander's given the command to go, it goes. To visits each of those points, performs whatever intervention is needed. So that's the navigation aspects of this. What does it typically do when it gets to the designated destination? Most of our clinical interest have been performing myocardial injections. That's really been our main focus so far. Uh, epicardial placement of electrodes for pacing, et cetera, and ablation of tissue for resynchronization procedures or, or things like that. Those have been the main three foci, and of those, we've focused, as I said, mostly on the injections so far because they perform sort of a dual purpose for us as far as our lab development. And on the one hand, they demonstrate one of our three main clinical abilities, but also in when we do locomotion tests, we can inject marker ink and use that as a validation of where we've been to check our placement accuracy. So is the material injected carried by the robot, or is there a tether back to a feed for the injected material? There's a tether back to a feed, and that's because the device has a flexible tether anyway, even you know with or without the injection line, because the locomotion is performed not by motors on board the crawler itself, but rather by highly flexible nitinol push wires that are connected to a pair of motors in a tabletop instrumentation box. So this sounds like reasonably mature technology. What's the projections in terms of when the Heartlander might be available for clinical evaluation? <laughs> That's a good question. I wish I knew the answer to that. There is a Carnegie Mellon spinoff that is presently working on commercializing the device, known as Heartlander Surgical. I don't know that there's a firm answer to that yet. They're working toward that, but I don't know that I could give a date. Yeah, it sounds like a year or two in any case. So let me ask a different, or inquire about a different application, and that is you talk about your motion control technologies. Is this applicable to dealing with pathological uh, tremors and so forth, like Parkinson's and the like? That's a good question. In principle, you know, it would be applicable to something like that. The difficulty that we have, and it's one that I don't really have an answer to at this point, is that for micron, for something like microsurgery, we have this device maybe the size of a fountain pen, let's say, that needs to have tip actuation with a total range of motion on the order of several hundred microns, let's say a millimeter, maybe a little more than a millimeter, something like that. We've succeeded to a minimal degree in putting that together, but for a pathological tremor implementation, so let's say you're going to build a writing pen for uh, someone with pathological tremor. For some of the severe cases of tremor, you, you might need a total range of motion of a centimeter or more. And all of the actuation that I can think of, that I've been able to think of, to bring to bear that would have that kind of range of motion just isn't going to meet the size and weight constraints that you would want for something like a writing pen. So that's really been the thing that has held us back from that. So it sounds like a challenge and perhaps an opportunity for the future. Yes, absolutely. And if we can come across a ways to do that or someone has, uh, can offer that and wants to collaborate, I'd be delighted to pursue it. So... You also have some interest in activities related to rehabilitation. Can you just briefly introduce those areas of interest? Yes. Those have mostly been 
in collaboration with Rory Cooper over at the Department of Rehabilitation Science and Technology at Pitt. Generally, my work there has involved signal filtering for assistive computer interfaces for people who have things like cases of pathological tremor, or more recently we've done some work dealing with computer users who have athetoid cerebral palsy. So essentially, there we're just trying to provide smoother or more efficient control of a computer screen cursor or possibly of a powered wheelchair, let's say, for people who have impairments in the hand motion. Very interesting adaptation of your core technologies to another very important area. So, Dr. Rivera, thank you for sharing with us your pioneering studies in a variety of important areas. We will post your website at Carnegie Mellon on the podcast website, so if our listeners want to learn more detail or make contact with you, they can use that as a point of reference. I'd like to thank the McGowan Institute, who sponsors these podcast series, and also remind our listeners, if you have suggestions in terms of topics to address, you can reach us at mail at com. So until we meet again in two weeks, I thank our listeners and Dr. Revere for joining us. Have a good day. Bye.